Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Sachim, daf Samech Tet, 69. So we're in the middle of a rather lengthy discussion, or this daf provides a very lengthy discussion on the lengthy Mishnah, which was that back and forth between Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Akiva. And there's a nice nugget here about the relationship between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. Remember that Rabbi Eliezer, and you talked about this when we read this Mishnah, that sort of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua were the teachers. Rabbi Akiva is the next generation. He's the student. And there's this hierarchy there. And it was interesting to see in the Mishnah sort of Rabbi Akiva take on the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer that we ultimately paskin by in the end also. Um, that's ultimately what this staff says, right? That any, uh, Rabbi Akiva's opinion being that anything that you could do prior to Shabbat uh, for the thing that needs to be done on Shabbat itself, that's going to be Docha Shabbos, but anything that could be done beforehand, you got to do it beforehand. Whereas Rabbi Eliezer says, no, there is a list of activities. You can just go ahead and do it on Shabbat. You don't have to worry about the timing of it because it was necessary for a mitzvah. So I'm sort of at the top middle of the page here where Rabbi Akiva is responding to Rabbi Eliezer, right, that the well, the halakha talking about the sprinkling of the um, water of the paraduma proves that actions that are actually uh, not allowed by, by that are derabanan, right, even when they're performed for the sake of a mitzvah, don't override Shabbos because you can't do that sprinkling on Shabbat for the par, of the paraduma. And so they quote a brisa here, right, Tanya. Amar lo Rabbi Akiva, uh, Rabbi Eliezer. So Rabbi Eliezer says, Akiva, right? And again, remember, it's interesting to notice he doesn't call him Rabbi because this is a student, right? And so this price is sort of like the end of what happened afterwards of the Mishnah. And he says, Akiva, because you responded to me with this incorrect Kalva Homer about Shrita, right? Your death is going to be by Shrita. Meaning that Rabbi Eliezer was a little insulted by what Rabbi Akiva said to him. And he's basically saying, you're going to be uh, punished. And so then Rabbi Akiva says to him, Amar lo, Rabbi, right? He says, don't be, you know, don't be upset with me, right? At what I said, because this, I actually learned from you. I learned from you. That sprinkling is not allowed, dirabanan, right? It's by the shvut, right? It falls into that shvut category on Shabbat, and it's not allowed to overwrite Shabbos. Now, the Gemara basically then wants to unpack and sort of tries to go through, okay, is that actually true? And where did Rabbi Akiva actually learn that? So it, it goes through that a little bit, and Ula has an opinion about that. Um, and then Rabbi, you know, has a different version of where exactly that is. But we're going to skip down a little bit later, and it says, right? We're going to reject what Ula said before and say that, no, Rabbi Eliezer definitely taught Rabbi Akiva that the sprinkling, right, needs to be performed. In other words, that somebody would have to be sprinkled with the paraduma, um, uh, you know, in order for them, if they were tummy, in order for them to eat the korban Pesach. The chima achard agrinam, right? So then the question is, okay, so then after he he taught this to him, my time a kafrichle, right? What is the reason, right? Kafrichle Rabbi Eliezer. What's the reason that Rabbi Eliezer refutes this? Why does Rabbi Eliezer deny 
that he actually ever taught this to Rabbi Akiva. And so it says Rabbi Akiva Gamre, uh, right? Rabbi Akiva basically what? Eats Karle. He taught, he taught this, but he forgot it. Va'ata Rabbi Akiva, and then Rabbi Akiva comes, la'adukre gamre, right? To remind him of this teaching. The name in lay bahade saberle orach arye. And so therefore Rabbi Akiva explicitly reminds Rabbi Eliezer what he thought. But the Gemara basically says here, right at the end, sabar lav orach arye, right? He thought it wouldn't be proper. Rabbi Akiva thought it wouldn't be proper to sort of tell his teacher that he actually forgot it. And so he sort of tried to remind him indirectly. I was very struck by this story because we see Rabbi Eliezer, and I think I talked about this yesterday, about an opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, which I was surprised by. It was the one about how we celebrate Yom Tov because Rabbi Eliezer is harsh. And this is a perfect example of sort of his harshness. He has a harsh way of speaking. Now, when we were prepping this, Anne, you mentioned to me that you think this is sometimes sort of the language that's used, but we're going to see other grammars about Rabbi Eliezer, that Rabbi Eliezer had tremendous influence and power on things that actually happened in the world. And again, I keep mentioning the story of Tanor Shalaknai, and you'll see that actually play out there. Um, but when he says that to Rabbi Akiva, that you bothered me with slaughtering, and that's how you will die, I don't think that's just a figure of speech. And then it's interesting for the Gemara to sort of come and... Um, you know, basically say, Rabbi Eliezer was sort of at fault. He really forgot something that he taught. And his student came, Rabbi Akiva came to sort of try to remind him nicely. I really want us to remember the story. I got to make a note for myself for when we do learn the story of Tadnor Shalak Nai, because we're going to see more of this relationship <laughs> play out between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. And it's interesting to me that the Gemara doesn't call Rabbi Eliezer out. The Gemara, in fact, never seems to call Rabbi Eliezer out. Even that story with Tanur Shagunai, it seems to take Rabbi Eliezer's side, actually. I, I just, there's a certain harshness here that I think, as the modern reader, it's bothersome to me. But, but you know, but I, I don't know. I think these dynamics between Rebbe and teacher, and we do sort of see that Rebbe Akiva is always willing to sort of, you know, speak out of turn a little bit in a way that his teachers do not always appreciate. Um, I think that's a fair comment. I th I don't know. I keep, I, I said this to you before, right? Like we know enough about Rebelezer's personality. The fact that he can say something that might through. sound harsh that's to our ears. In other words, it's not surprising. Says it harsh, I guess. But the fact that it's true, it, it, it's fulfilled in Rabbi Akiva's life. That's what bothers me. Because that, but that's exactly what I mean. It sounds harsh to us, right? You're relating to it as harsh across the board, harsh, uh, you know, in heaven, in the heavens, and it should be disregarded because of being harsh. And I'm suggesting that that's because that's our sensibilities, but that harshness was not present for them, and that's why it, it coming true is like, well, because he was who he was, and not because it's not it's not in relation to it being harsh or not harsh. It's that if you remove harsh as yeah, a factor, I, I hear then, that, but I don't know. I just I want everyone to keep this story. You know, I, I think this really tells us a lot about the, about Rabbi Eliezer and his dynamic with Rabbi Akiva. And again, the fact that the Gemara, I think you're right, Anne. Like, just sort of just lets it pass. Is the respect that they give to Rabbi to Rabbi Eliezer? I want to make one other comment here, which is actually not about the particulars here, which is that 
you know, we began this story, this this discussion of the Gemara a couple of days ago with the Mishnah, which was long, and then we carried on talking till now, right? And you know, there's this is the the tricky part of this particular format of a Dafyomi podcast, in that we do these nuggets and these snippets, and we hopefully hopefully there's some you know enriching conversation, and that we're not always getting to the end of every halachic discussion that we encounter. So if we encounter it in the middle, right, in medias race type of thing, right, then then we might actually end up discussing it in a way that is not the bottom line psa. And then you're then I'm aware, I you know, I'm paying attention to the fact that we might well be leaving the podcast, the our co-learners hanging, so to speak, thinking that we've said something that is the final bottom line. And so I just want to remind everybody, I know you all know this because because you've been with us all this way and you know that this is how it works, but but still, I feel like this disclaimer is is a critical one to remember that we're not, sometimes we talk about halacha and in fact, sometimes we talk about the bottom line, but sometimes what we're talking about is the discussion along the way and the Gemara's wandering past till it gets to the bottom line. And even sometimes the Gemara doesn't give you the bottom line and you have to get to the books of halacha and the post game over the generations to get to a bottom line. Um, and so then we say all the time, we don't pass them by the Mishnah, we don't pass them by the Gemara, but I would say we don't always even conclude the Gemara's halachic discussion at the point that we may have ended it. No, uh, this, and I just, I, is a great, like I said, I, I know you all know this, but I, I don't want anyone to be misled. Yeah, and then sometimes like this, we come, we get to come back to it and then here we are. Um, okay. So come down, come with me towards the end of Ahmed Bet. Um, and we have here just a really brief tidbit about what I had found to be a very interesting halacha about the Korban Pesach to begin with. Namely, when you come to Shech the Korban Pesach and you have in mind the people who are going to be partaking of it, and you have the mind, in mind people who are somehow partaking of it but are not allowed to eat from it, right? This was a case, you know, from several days ago maybe longer even, and it's permeated, you know, it keeps coming back. And the Gemara here addresses that in a way that I found helpful. There's a case that if you could slaughter the Korban Pesach for somebody who is, 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 um, has tuma, is impure, because they came in contact with a creepy crawly, then that would be the case where you have a carbon Pesach that is slaughtered for people who cannot eat it, right? And and then doesn't that invalidate the whole korban? Wouldn't that disqualify it? So Rava answers him and says, Amar So Rava's answer is, you know, it's one thing to say that you're not eligible to eat. Not eligible to eat, according to Rava, means somebody who's sick, who's too sick to partake of it. Somebody who's old, and I assume this means, you know, they couldn't chew the meat or whatever it's going to be. They have difficulty with it. They just, they're not fit to be eating the Korban Pesach here. Chazi uh, here is Aramaic. That means fit. In Hebrew, we would say ra'ui. Again, fit. Um, but here, the the person who has become tame from a creepy crawly is technically not allowed to eat for the Korban Pesach because, in fact, they are impure, right? So that's not allowed. But remove that external factor 
And then then you have somebody who otherwise, you know, from who that person is, would be permitted to eat from the Korban Pesach. And so that would be sufficient. And that's, so it's just a matter of like, you can't eat from it now, but you yourself really would otherwise be allowed. And therefore, when you come to Shech the Korban Pesach and have that person in mind, despite the fact that that person would not actually be partaking and cannot partake at this particular moment, because it's from Tuma, it would be allowed. Meaning that it doesn't disqualify the whole Korban. The irony of this, of course, is that I found myself thinking that I could reread it entirely the other way and say, well, somebody who's Tameh, you know, can't eat it now, but somebody who's just older, infirm, and is therefore not not eligible to eat from it, you could include them in your thinking. I'm not saying that that's what happens here. It doesn't. I'm just saying that every so often the the very obvious Gemara logic is not always so obvious, right? The I, Just in that I could see it making the case either way for which kind of yeah, um, I, ineligible I think person point that you could would really be the, the disqualifier. Logic, and it also would make sense here. Um, I, you know, I'm kind of hoping that if I were to spend a lot more time on it, it would become clear to me why, no, that's just simply wrong. Um, okay, and then as we come to the end of the daf, we have a new Mishnah, and of course the Gemara on this new Mishnah will appear on tomorrow's daf, thank you very much, but the, the here we're talking specifically about, and we mentioned this in the past as well, the Korban Chagiga, and the Korban Chagiga is the festival offering, also it's the kind of Korban that's a Shlamim, a Shlamim, and it is brought you know, for Yantif. When do you bring the Chagiga, this Korban uh, for the holiday, together with the Korban Pesach? So the Mishnah explains that when you have um, the Korban Pesach comes out on a weekday, let's say, right? And not on Shabbos then everything is going to be in a case of purity in Tara, right? That's what we're talking about. So then, well, I just want to say, so we've got a person here who's, it's on a weekday, no, I'm sorry, it's a weekday, and it's Batara in ritual purity. And then uh, we're talking about somebody who's only going to end up going to have a small portion of it, right? When you've got all of those three conditions, then you first eat the Chagiga, and then you eat the Korban Pesach. But, the Korban Pesach is on Shabbat, and you have a large portion, you have somebody who's at a state of you know, impurity, then you do not bring a Korban Chagiga with it. Um, and that, of course, begs a whole lot of questions in terms of the obligations in Korbanot, when it comes to a holiday. The Mishnah continues, When we're talking about this Korban, uh, korban Chagiga, the Shlamim, it's going to come from flocks. It's going to come from either goats or sheep. Um, I'm sorry, uh, cows or, 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 or sheep or goats. Because then it goes on to say, from the cows, from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. It could come from a male or a female. The time for which you can eat this is two days and one night. Two days and one night, like all other like, uh, shlamims, right? Meaning the korban shlamim in itself is, it's still got the same identity as the korban chagiga. Like that's 
how it works. The question is, what is going to be the interplay with the Korban Pesach and what conditions dictate there being a Korban Shlom, uh, that is brought together with the Korban Pesach? And when do you not have one at all? Which I found to be a little bit startling. As I said, it begs right. many questions. I, I just want to point out one great thing. We're really going to dive here. into it tomorrow. Um, that the Gemara, you know, often, Anne, you and I always talk about like, what's the order of the Mishnayos? Does the Mishnah seem placed in the right place or not placed? And the Gemara actually starts off here with exactly that question, right? Maitana diktane chagiga, right? Why, why is this taught here? Um, and, you know, it wants some fact, like, it seems like a very misplaced, because it's really a lacha about the korban chagiga. And why does it come here? So I just loved that the Gemara does, you know, right. asked the question that you and I very frequently ask. But what's funny is, is that when I read this Mishnah, I wasn't struck by that. It made sense to me. So I was like, of all the Mishnahs, the Gemara is going to ask it. I'm right, like, me neither. Okay. I was like, well, that but, makes sense. You know, so I, I just had to point that out. Well, we also discussed how the Korban, uh, some, what, a couple of Mishnahs, several Mishnahs ago, there is a mention of the Shlomim. So like, it's not, again, it's not so crazy that, maybe at the beginning of the parak. It's I not know, so it's crazy that it would be here. I suppose to, it doesn't have to be in this it. exactly. I, I, I just was very taken by that. Exactly. Yes. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the Both day. Years and all major podcasts. In general. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrant website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and love.